Good morning. Turn with me, if you will, to Psalm 54. We're reading out of Psalm 54. Now, I know your bulletin says that we're going to be looking at uh, 1 Samuel chapter 23 and 24 today. But as I studied the, the 23rd chapter, I realized I just needed to break these apart. There, there was no combining them. And so we're going to be uh, studying 1 Samuel 23. But uh, if you received my text message I send out every week, this week, you'll know that... Uh, the 54th Psalm was written by David, and it was written during the time of our passage. So as David was going through what he's going to go through today, he writes this Psalm. So I thought it was important that we read that together. And I also thought it was important to tell you that the bulletin is my fault, not Liz's fault. She was the first week, so don't, don't blame her. This was, this was my fault. So um, If you turn there, we're going to go to Psalm 54, and we're just going to read in verse 1 there. Psalm 54, verse 1. Save me, O God, by your name, and vindicate me by your power. Hear my prayer, O God. Give ear to the words of my mouth, for strangers have risen against me. Violent men have sought my life. They have not set God before them. Selah. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the sustainer of my soul. He will recompense the evil to my foes. Destroy them in your faithfulness. Willingly I sacrifice to you. I will give thanks to your name, O Lord, for it is good. For he has delivered me from all trouble. And my eye has looked with satisfaction upon my enemies. May God add his understanding to the reading of his word. Let's pray. O God most high, our desire is to your name. Our mind to the remembrance of you. We are sinners and we know it. Our wrongdoings are great and numberless, but you, Lord, are all that we need, for you are rich in mercy. The blood of your Son can cleanse us from all sin. Your Spirit can subdue our most powerful lusts. Give us a tender, wakeful conscience that will feel pain when we sin against you. May we be consistent in conversation and conduct, the same alone as in company, in prosperity and in adversity, accepting your commandments as right and hating every false way. May we never be satisfied with our present spiritual progress, but the faith add virtue, knowledge, restraint, godliness, brotherly kindness, and charity. May we never neglect what is necessary to constitute Christian character. May we cultivate the expedient, develop the lovely, Adorn the gospel and find ourselves satisfied with your progress. Amen. Amen. So in the last few weeks, we've been studying David and the tragedy that has befallen him since that fateful day when all the women of Israel got together and sang that beautiful melody. Saul has slain his thousands, but David is tens of thousands. And that song, it sparked a jealous rage in King Saul that would eventually consume him to the point where, as we saw last week, he would outright attack God. In a moment that can only be described as Antichrist, Saul destroyed the priestly city of Nob and killed every person, young and old, every animal within it. And it was through this unfair persecution of David that we were able to learn a few things. We learned that the trials of all sorts are, are not only something that will happen to us as Christians, 
but they're to be expected. They are the refiner's fire that causes our faith to grow and mature. We studied through one of David's psalms the chesed or the loyal love of God that reminds us that though we struggle with those trials, God's loyal love is constantly with us, watching over us and protecting us. And we learned last week that even though God promises us trials, we will go through trials. He will be there with us, loving us, providing for us, giving us a peace that surpasses all understanding. Today we will learn that besides growing us and loving us and providing for us, God will also deliver us from those who would betray or attack us. Amen. I'm fairly certain that, that none of us are, are in danger of being chased by a bloodthirsty king that likes to throw spears. If I'm wrong, please raise your hand. Okay, just checking. But I am also just as certain that we have all, at one time or another, maybe you're even going through it now, been betrayed by someone near to us. Maybe it's a friend or a loved one. Or maybe it's even a brother or sister in Christ. So how do we respond to that? How should we act when our character is maligned? Or, or we hear about gossip that has been told about us. Or hopefully less often, often, someone is just out to hurt us. Our passage today will show us David's response. That's why I had us read uh, Psalm 54 this morning. Because right smack dab in the middle of all this betrayal and, and, and heartache and treachery that David faces today, he wrote Psalm 54. So as we go through these passages, as we go through these verses, we need to look through the lens of Psalm 54 to understand how it is that David did, and by extension how we should, respond when we are betrayed or attacked. So we remember last week, uh, uh, Saul wiped out the city of Nob, and there was one guy that escaped. Right? He escaped. And this, this passage is kind of cool because um, think of it like a movie. You know, you watch one scene of something that happens, and then you watch another scene, but that scene starts about halfway through this scene. And then they kind of catch up to one another. Right? And so it's, it's a pattern of, of storytelling. So verse 1 of 1 Samuel 23 is actually clear back when Saul was destroying Nob. Okay? So if you can think of it that way, it kind of uh, matches up to our, our passage from last week. We see verse 1, Then they told David, saying, Behold, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah and are plundering the, the threshing floors. Wait. I'm a little confused here. They, they got a king, right? A big tall one, a, a Brent and Shane put together, right? They, they, they got this big guy to go out in front of them and fight their battles. But why do they go find David, who's hiding in the woods, to tell them about Keilah? Because that big, tall, dumb king is off murdering priests. So they have to find David, the real king, the true king. And then they're, they're fighting, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah. We'll find out later, but this is a, a walled city, and there's gates and everything. So they can defend themselves, but they're attacking the threshing floors. Those would have been outside the city. When they harvest the wheat, they have to toss that wheat up in the air to get the, the kernels uh, to come down so they can grind that and make flour. So they're attacking the threshing floors, the, the very thing that they need to make their bread. Not just Keilah, but probably the surrounding areas. 
So the Philistines are attacking the bread of Israel. Saul is attacking the priests of Israel. So they go find David. Verse 2, so David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and deliver Keilah. Again, we see God answering David. So many times Saul asked and got crickets. David gets a response. Verse 3, but David's men, remember David had those 400 uh, rabble-rousers with him, right? They were grumblers, complainers, they were guys that were in debt, right? Always looking to borrow a buck from him. These were the guys he had. He had four of them, 400 of them. And they, they said to him, wait, wait, wait. Behold, we are afraid here in Judah. But how much more then if we go to Keilah against the ranks of the Philistines? Can you really blame the guys? I mean, Hasn't David heard that ancient proverb, the enemy of my enemy is my friend? Right? Why are you asking us to go out and make another enemy when we already have one that's chasing us? But David knew what to do. Verse 4, then David inquired of the Lord once more. And the Lord answered him and said, Arise, go down to Keilah. And then he gives him just a little bit more. For I will give the Philistines into your hand. Remember when I told you that David was ministering to these men? Remember last week I said it'd be kind of like, kind of like grabbing a guitar and going into a biker bar and singing Jesus Love You, right? These were rough, rough tumble men that he was, he was with there. But he was ministering to them, and he was growing them to the point where later we see them called mighty men of God. Men that, that are manly men. They, they kill lions and, and thousands of enemies. But they start here. They start here. Kind of like us Christians, right? We start our walk with Christ and we grow into mighty men and women of Christ. That's what David is doing with these men here. And, and when they question the order of David, he doesn't browbeat them or question their faith or call them weaker. He, instead, he, he demonstrates to them how a believer in Yahweh responds to things that seem bigger than us. And so our, our first lesson about how to handle betrayal is to understand that not all things are actually betrayal. David's men rightly question him when, when he suggests pausing their flight from Saul to go fight another enemy. And it would have been very easy for David to become defensive and angry and say, I'm the boss. I'm providing for you. Do what I say. how Satan works in the church today. Something is said that isn't necessarily wrong, but it goes against what someone else is thinking. And if we aren't careful, they'll start to whisper in our ear. That's kind of a jerk, isn't he? Who does he think he is? You're the one that set all this up. Whatever. Next time you see him, just ignore him. He's just a busybody. And after all, you are doing the Lord's work, not him. Sweet, sinful little whispers that cause tiny cracks in the foundation of a church family. And those cracks over time, just like the cracks in our parking lot before we got them sealed, they'll grow and they'll get bigger and they'll get bigger. Sometimes they'll, they'll grow to a great valley that will separate whole parts of a church so that the church becomes the left side and the right side, or the, the first service and the second service, or the righteous and everybody else. 
David does what we should do. He doesn't take offense. He doesn't grumble. He just takes it to the Lord. And we see this little band of misfits accomplish something mighty because of it. Verse 5. So David and his men went to Keilah and fought with the Philistines, and he led away their livestock and struck them with a great slaughter. Thus David delivered the inhabitants of Keilah. Think about the, the effect of this victory on David's grumbling band of misfits. David said, God said, do this. They said, are you sure? He said, God said, do this. He's going to deliver us. He said, okay, we'll do it. They went down there, and they struck them with a great slaughter. What do you think they did next time God said, go somewhere? <laughs> Verse 6. Now, now we're going to catch up to where we, where we ended last week. Right? Our scene has caught up to the end of, of chapter 22. Now when it came about, when and I'm, I'm sorry, you're going to have to fingerspell this, Abazar, the son of Ahimelech, fled to David at Keilah. Try fingerspelling that, by the way. It's hard. That he came down with an ephod in his hand. So we see that we've caught up, but we also get just a touch bit more information here. Right? We didn't know that last week. But this week, we see that he comes with that ephod. So now we see why David had been summoned to Keilah. Because while the citizens of Keilah were under attack from the Philistines, Saul and his dog were wiping out the priests of Nob, and now we get this little piece of information. Not only did this priest escape with his life, the only one, by the way, that escaped, but he snagged the high priest's ephod on the way out the door. Some of you are sitting out there saying, okay, what's an ephod? It's great, it snags it, woo! Okay, so priests wore an ephod. It was a linen uh, robe type thing, and, and it was to be it was white, it was to be kept clean, and all the priests wore this. But the high priest had in the breastplate of his ephod the urum the and the thumen. Fixed around the consonants there. The urum and the thumen. Okay, and these were two stones that were fixed in there, and we don't know much about how it worked. But we do know that that's how uh, the high priest communicated with God. And I, th I think that was by design. I, I really do. Because think about if we had in the Bible a, a very accurate description of what the, the Urim and the, and the Thummim were and, and how to use it. What would we do? We would go out and make an Urim and a Thummim and then we'd come and talk to God. Right? I mean, think Indiana Jones and the Lost Ark. Take the ark and use this power. That's how we work. All we really need to know is that this is how the high priest communicated with God. He was using this ephod. And even though Saul was there destroying the priests, God was still in control. Because he took one little priest and he said, grab that ephod and go to David. And in that, David now has a direct link to God. Verse 7, when it was told Saul that David had come to Keilah, Saul said, God has delivered him into my hand, for he shut himself in by entering a city with double gates and bars. Just stop for a second. Just think about what that guy's saying. I mean, he's probably still a knob. There's probably dead priests everywhere. Remember, he killed their wives and their children, too. He's standing there in the midst of all this carnage, and he has the gall to say, God 
has delivered him into my hand. As if God would have anything but death and destruction for this evil king. This type of thing goes on today, too. Don't worry. I've heard many a Christian, sometimes some that I would consider a strong Christian, say, I really think that God is calling me to this. I really think that God wants me to do this when it clearly goes against Scripture. Brothers and sisters, I don't care what you think. I care what God says. Do not underestimate the human ability to rationalize away our sins. It's a powerful force. We'll see some more of this later, but we'll get back to our our delusional king. But we're going to jump to verse 8 here. So Saul summoned all the people for war to go down to Keilah and besiege David and his men. Remember, this is the king that's supposed to protect Israel. Now he's summoning the people to go destroy Israel under the guise of besieging David and his men. David, now David knew that Saul was plotting evil against him, so he said to Abathar the priest, bring the ephod here. Then David said, O Lord God of Israel, your servant has heard for certain that Saul is coming to Keilah to destroy the city on my account. Will the men of Keilah surrender me into his hand? Will Saul come down just as your servant has heard? <coughs> o Lord God of Israel, I pray, tell your servant. Then the Lord said, he will come down. Then David said, Will the men of Keilah surrender me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, They will surrender you. Again, David is faced with a difficult challenge, and he takes it straight to God. And once, once he has taken it to God and God answers him, he moves. And I'm not sure if we can call the men of, of Keilah betrayers, although they would have betrayed David if he stayed. But maybe we can call them cowards. Unwilling to stand up for their Savior. Willing to turn on their deliverer at the first sign of danger. But how much better would we fare? I mean, after all, Saul had just destroyed the town of the priests along with the high priest. How much more willing would he be to destroy a common village? But how easy would it have been for David to be bitter towards the people of Keilah? How easy would it have been for David to just be angry with its citizens. After all, he just risked, literally, his neck for these people. Sometimes, the most painful betrayers are the ones done by those whom you sacrifice to others. People, family, who you've aided along the way, that you've poured into, whether time or money or both, Those are the bites that sting the most. And when those blows hit us in the heart, we need to remember one thing. We need to remember this, that that every time we talk to someone, and every time we sense that we need to share the gospel with them, and we don't, every time we we see a dying unbeliever, uh, an unbeliever who is dead in their sins, they're headed to hell, Without, without Jesus intervening, and we quickly steer the conversation to safer waters, less religious waters, we are the citizens of Keilah, willing to abandon the greatest deliverer of all 
And so when we are offended, when we are betrayed, we need to remember how many times we have offended or betrayed the great Gilead. And we need to forgive that person. Give that betrayal to the Lord and know that he of all people understands the feeling of betrayal. And then model his behavior and forgive. We don't see David holding things against the people of Judah. He asks the Lord what will happen. The Lord responds and David pushes forward. Verse 13. Uh, then David and his men, about 600, oh, wait a minute. We've been saying 400 this whole time. Maybe it added a couple people there. About 600. Maybe some of the citizens of Keilah, who knows? They arose and departed from Keilah, and they went wherever they could. When it was told Saul that David had escaped from Keilah, he gave up the pursuit. David stayed in the wilderness in the strongholds and remained in the hill country in the wilderness of Zip. If you get a chance, go home or don't do it now. Google it on your phone, right? Wilderness of Zip. When I say wilderness, I'm not talking about Yosemite, right? Wilderness in Israel is more like Las Vegas, okay? It's barren. It's dry. It's hot. In fact, where the, the wilderness of Zip there would have been near the Dead Sea, which is the lowest spot on the planet. Has anybody ever been to Death Valley? It's hot there, right? It's hot there. It gets even hotter in, 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 uh, by the Dead Sea there. It's... it's over a thousand feet below sea level. It's to be 130 degrees in the summertime. It just stinks. It's just dry, hot, dirt and rocks. But there's a, there's a the spring there. There's a uh, an oasis and and it's beautiful. You, you're in this middle of all this dry, dead rock, and then you get to this oasis, and there's waterfalls, and there's. Uh, Ibis. There's, there's a breed of ibis there. They're mountain goats, you know, big horns. And, and there's thousands of them there. That's where they head off to. And then we get to verse, the, half, the second half of verse 14. And Saul sought him every day, but God did not deliver him into his hand. And here it is. I mentioned that we should look through the lens of Psalm 54 to see how David responds. And by extension, how we should respond when we are betrayed or attacked. The last half of verse 14 should tell us everything we need to know as a child of God. For when we are betrayed, we are to rely on the Lord. And who better to rely on? In Matthew chapter 10, starting in verse 28, listen to Jesus. He says, do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul. But rather, fear him who is able to destroy both the soul and the body hell are not sparrows sold for a cent and yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father but the very hairs of your head are all numbered so do not fear you are more valuable than many sparrows our God creator of time and space and everything within who knit us together in our mother's wombs who, who chose us from the foundations of time Amen. this this is who we rely on. For he will fight our battles. He will silence our enemies. In, in uh, Psalm 54 there, verse 5, it says, destroy them in your faithfulness. The Hebrew there can actually mean uh, to silence. To silence your enemies. He will silence 
your enemies. Perhaps someone here has been wrongly accused of something, or another is being treated unjustly in a relationship, or still another is feeling betrayed by words spoken by another. Take it to the Lord. He is our deliverer. He will deal with the situation in his infinite plan. And as much as it is up to you and to I, we are to live in peace with one another. Don't, don't let your actions sink to the level of others. Instead, take your actions and, and do what Paul tells the Philippians to do. Uh, do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. Raised to the level of Christ and trust that he will be your deliverer in the time of trouble. David did this. Saul could never find him. They weren't even in the same playing field. In verse 15, David, it says, Now David became aware that Saul had come out to seek his life while David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horish. And Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David at Horish and encouraged him in God. Thus he said to him, Do not be afraid, because the hand of Saul, my father, will not find you, and you will be king over Israel, and I will be next to you. And Saul, my father, knows that also. So the two of them made a covenant before the Lord, and David stayed at Horish, while Jonathan went to his house. Isn't it interesting that Saul searches in hatred everywhere for David and can't find him? But Jonathan comes in love and walks right up to him. And we see these two friends again. They revisit the covenant that they made. Remember, that David promised not to wipe out Saul's household and Jonathan's household, and and Jonathan promised to watch out for David. And they, they were the best of friends, right? Remember the old, when you're the best of friends. You know, maybe you guys didn't see that movie. <laughs> Doing all your things together. Cover. There you go. Still makes me cry. We see these two friends meet again. And Jonathan encourages David. How? By reminding him of God's words. He will be king. And he even goes so far as to say that Saul knows that David is going to be king. And this little section of verses here kind of gives us a, a little subsection to what we're talking about, our main topic. Right? That is to say, uh, how does a believer respond to a betrayal or attack? But this is a little subsection that, that says, how can believers encourage those who are under attack or have been betrayed? When we see a brother or sister stung by the despair of undue criticism or struck by the darts of gossip, we come alongside that person. We speak truth to them. And what better truth than the word of God? Have you, ever, have you ever been in a position where someone brings a hurt to you, something that's going on in their life, and they just, bleh, and they lay it out there, and you're like, that's terrible, and I have no idea what to say. I will tell you, the best remedy is truth. This week, uh, I ordered the uh, the refrigerator and the freezer for our new kitchen. And I ordered it on Tuesday, and I said, okay, two weeks, two weeks. Okay. Thursday, I'm driving to work, and I get a call. Hey, I'm about a half hour out. I've got your refrigerator and your freezer here. Okay. Joe was sick today. Or not, not today, this week. He was sick this week, and, and 
And so I, I went over and moved some things around so we could get them in there, and the guy showed up, and we put them in there huge. We had to like lay them down to get them through the door and everything. And I was talking to the guy, and I said, you know, how was your Thanksgiving? He said, oh, we didn't really do Thanksgiving this year. Oh, why's that? He said, well, my granddaughter, about two weeks ago, died this week. She would have been six months in December. Her mom went in and found the baby. She's already bleeding. She tried to do CPR. The dad called 911, got a busy signal. Called 911 again, got a busy signal. They ran her to the car and they drove over to the hospital and they couldn't do anything. She was too far gone. What can you say in a situation like that? What can you say to this man? Lord God, it's the only thing. It's the only thing I was able to share with him that we've been studying in 1 Samuel. And that we understand that that there will be times where things happen in our lives that we don't understand why. When a, when a little baby dies, and we show, he had pictures on her, she was so cute. And they had a little pink coffin to put that for him. But that didn't happen for no reason. That wasn't just a casual, I don't need that one. Our God is sovereign. And we see it all throughout the scripture. He is sovereign. He is in charge. And there was a reason that that happened. And it, it won't bring her back. But it will comfort. It will comfort knowing that there is a reason that little baby is up in heaven with Jesus right now. Amen. You see this beautiful example of godly encouragement in Jonathan. And this moment is made even more bittersweet when we understand that this is the last time that Jonathan and David will ever see each other on earth. And we see David head back into his hiding spot and Jonathan returns to his house. And he rests the family. I can't say with 100% certainty why God chose this moment to encourage David, but we can certainly see why he would need it. Just look at the next verses. Uh, verse 19. Then the Ziphites came up to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is David not hiding with us in the strongholds at Horish, on the hill of Hakalah, which is on the south of Jeshimon? Now then, O king, come down according to all the desire of your soul to do so, and our part shall be to surrender him into the king's hand. Look at verse 21. Good old Saul. Saul said, May you be blessed of the Lord, for you have had compassion on me. Poor Saul. Poor guy needed, needed a little compassion. Go now, make more sure and investigate and see his place where his haunt is and who has seen him there. For I am told that he is very cunning. He's not cunning, God is. Right? God has got to figure that. Well, you can't even acknowledge that. Verse 23, so look and learn about all the hiding places where he hides himself and return to me with certainty and I will go with you and if he is in the land, I will search him out among all the thousands of Judah. The Bible doesn't tell us much about the Ziphites. I was curious. I was like, why would they do this? Why would they just out of the blue go, go up to Saul and say, hey, David's not here anymore. We'll help you out. I, I did word searches. I looked around. I took genealogy. What, what's going on here? The cold hard fact is the Bible doesn't tell us why they did it. It doesn't tell us why they chose to, to side with Saul, and it doesn't tell us why they betrayed David. It just tells us they did. 
too sometimes. Sometimes betrayal comes from nowhere, with seemingly no reason. And perhaps it's just a lapse of judgment on the other person's part, or maybe it's sin on their part, but it catches completely by surprise. And we can be assured it doesn't catch God by surprise. And the Ziphites didn't surprise God with this action. In fact, what happens now is we're going to see one of the cruelest stories uh, in, in Saul's pursuit of David. And it's at this point that, I don't know if anybody else does this, but I, sometimes I wish there was a soundtrack to my life. You know what I mean? Like you get up in the morning, it's time to go fix the truck, and you like hear this music. And then you're putting a bolt on, and it starts to strip a little bit, and you hear, and then it goes on, and ta-ta. You know, I, 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 this is the way my brain works, but it would be so awesome if we had this thing with some music behind it, right? Look at this, verse 24. Then they arose and went out of Ziph before Saul. Now David and his men were in the wilderness of Maon, in the Arabia to the south of Jeshimon. When Saul and his men went to seek him, they told David, and he came down to the rock, and he stayed in the wilderness of Maon. And when Saul heard it, he pursued David in the wilderness of Maon. Boom, start the music. <laughs> Saul went on one side of the mountain. David went up the other side of the mountain. And David was hurrying to get away from Saul. The music's picking up now. And, and, and Saul and his men are right on his heels. And David's going, come on, we gotta go, we gotta go. And, and Saul and his men are, are starting to surround David. Maybe they did like a, a pincher move where like one group is over here and another group is over here. And the net is closing around David. And there's no hope. And there's no escape. And then all of a sudden, verse 27, that a messenger came to Saul saying, hurry and come, for the Philistines have made a raid on the land. And it just so happened, an unnamed messenger saved the day. Verse 28, so Saul returned from pursuing David and went to meet the Philistines. And therefore, they called that place the Rock of Escape. I bet they did. Every time David walked by that place, thank you, Jesus. Now, he probably said, thank you, Yahweh, but I would say, thank you, Jesus. Verse 29, David went up from there and stayed in the stronghold of Engedi. Someone should have told the Ziphites that God doesn't take naps. He doesn't step away from the action for a snack break. Our God is always delivering. Just stop and think about the logistics of what had to happen in this scene. We get a, little, a couple little paragraphs, but think about this for a second. Saul is down there. He's pursuing David. Meanwhile, over here, God sends the Philistines over here to attack. A messenger has to run all the way to Saul and get to him before he captures David and say, hey, come back. The Philistines are attacking. And then Saul has to go back and attack the Philistines. Think about the logistics of that. We couldn't do it. All of us together in this room couldn't coordinate something that amazing. It's child's play to God. Child's play. Look in, look in Psalm 2. He looks at the nations and laughs. It's child's play. If you are here today and you have placed your faith in the saving power of Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, you have a God that will grow you, love you with a loyal love, provide for you, and will deliver you from those who would betray or attack you. Amen. And notice, we didn't see God just like reach down and zap Saul and make him disappear. 
We're going to see him toss him into a black hole or something like that. He's still there. He's still there. But what he did do is protect him throughout the attacks. The attacks will come. We know that. But our God is, is, is our defender. He is the God of creation. Is there anyone that can come against him? And if we didn't receive enough proof of that in today's passage, then look at the meal that we're about to share together. For while we were still yet enemies of God, enemies, separated from God, from a perfect God, by our sin, sin which every person in this room, myself included, has committed, God sent his son to take the punishment for all who would believe. To take an eternity of punishment. We're talking hell. We're talking uh, fire and brimstone and darkness, which is weird because you think fire and darkness, they don't go together, but God makes it work in hell. Right. Eternity of that. For each one of us that is a believer in here today, he took that on the cross. To deliver us. So that all would confess with so that all who would confess with their mouth and believe with their heart that Jesus is Lord will be saved. Amen. Hallelujah. This meal, this most sacred of remembrances, calls to mind the most amazing deliverance of all time. It's a meal for believers. This meal is, is, is a meal of fellowship between us believers and our Savior. If you are here today and you realize that you don't have a deliverer, you don't have someone that loves you loyally and provides and protects you, like the God we saw do with David today, and you realize that, that if you were to go out and get in your car and you were to take off and drive down Balfour and die today, you don't know where you'd end up. Would it be in heaven? Would it be in hell? Some great nothingness? If you don't know that, welcome. You're in the right spot. And we love that you're here. After we do communion here, we'll sing a final song. And if you want to meet that deliverer, if you want to meet him, and, and, and you want to walk with him, and, and you want salvation, I'm talking heaven, man, for eternity. Not for a couple of years, eternity. If you want that, come down. I'd love to start your walk with, with Christ. I'd love to introduce you to Jesus. If you're here today and you haven't committed your life to Christ, let this meal go by you today. There's no shame in it. No one will judge you for it. In fact, if you aren't a believer and you don't take communion, you're actually doing what God commands, so you're on the right path already. But for my brothers and sisters in Christ, this meal is a reminder of a great deliverance from the betrayal of sin that Jesus Christ worked on our behalf. It's a time of reflection. It's a time to look over the last month and, and, and see the failures and the, and the victories that you've had in Christ and it's time to renew your commitment and to thank God for his deliverance. Would you please pray with me? As we thank you for David's example here, we thank you for the great deliverance which you brought about.
for each and every person who would claim you as their savior. Lord, we can't even put into words how amazing that deliverance is. That while we were enemies, hated enemies, Lord, you died on the cross for us. The fact that anybody would turn that down, the fact that anybody would say no to that boggles my mind. But Lord, we know there are some out there that won't. And so we pray for them. We lift them up to you. We pray, Lord, that you would soften their hearts. That they would come to know the true deliverer. in our lives that we're not addressing. And give us your power to overcome. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If our deacons would come up now. singing, so we had to stick this off to the side. Now we, uh, through, uh, Mike is our worship leader, and uh, other people had to leave and everything, so we won't have any music while we hand this out. But what I would encourage you to do is, as we're receiving the bread, and as we're receiving the cup, just bow your head. Reflect on your relationship with Christ. Reflect on the, the deliverance that he has provided you. Spend that time with We'll take the bread together once we all have it.
Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this bread represents my body, which has been broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, Jesus took the cup and he said, this cup represents a new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink it, remember me. We will eat this bread and we will drink this cup until the day he returns. Amen? Amen. <laughs> We're going to sing one last song now. Uh, as you head out, there's going to be a gentleman in the back there with two baskets. One of those baskets is for your cups. And the other basket is a benevolence fund. 
that we collect every communion Sunday. Uh, that benevolence fund is for our, our church family here who maybe have come across something uh, challenging financial uh, difficulty. And so the deacons actually manage that fund and, and disperse those funds. And uh, so if you want to give to that, that is your opportunity there. Until then, we're going to sing one last song. And uh, if, like I said, if, if you want to meet that deliverer, if you want that deliverer in your life, come down and talk to me. I'd love to talk to you. If you want to just come down and pray, spend some time before the Lord, please do. Until, uh, until we see each other again, have a great week. Will you stand on the last song? <laughs>